Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Lorelai Weissel-Labruzzi. I'm Brian Dawes. I'm Chris Delano. And I'm Carrie Thomas. And welcome to our second episode of 2021. What a year, let me tell you. Um, we are gonna not talk about most of the things happening because I don't know who, I don't know how the writing could get worse after 2020, but this is a year. Uh, so we're going to focus <laughs> on Kaldheim because we have to stay sane in these, these, these times. Do and, we, uh, do we, we, well, no, technically, I guess we don't have to, but, uh, we're going to wing it and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so, uh, Last week, we had wonderful free preview cards, courtesy Wizards of the Coast. Shout out to everyone who enjoyed those episodes, and special shout out to our live listeners uh, who didn't get to live listen to an episode, which I always feel a little bit bad about, because it's like a whole Patreon thing, but also like, we're talking about preview cards, and we can't reveal that early. Uh, so th- thanks thanks for sticking with us, uh, live listeners who are here tonight on uh, the first live listen of the year. Um you had to endure a couple weeks of us uh, on vacation in December and then uh, previews right after that. So welcome back. Uh, if you would like to be a live listener and listen to us uh, record live and get the podcast early and chat with us before and after the show, you can head over to patreon.com slash the Vorthoscast. Uh, join us on our Discord server and have a good time. But otherwise, right. we're... Thank you for listening to the Vorthoscast. Yeah, the episode's over. That's it. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I'm so used to the Patreon plug going at the end. I was a little, I, I zoned out for a moment. Thought I might Look, have slept there, through the whole podcast. We literally did not put a single word on the agenda. All of this, <laughs> we're just winging it. It's great. Um, well, we've got some very structured things to talk about, so I think we're good. Yeah. Uh, so we're gonna start. Uh, this is our first episode about Kaldheim stories. Uh, we have uh, a, a little bit of time to start. Uh, we are once again in the uh, same story structure we saw in Zandakar Rising with a main main plot story on Wednesday and a side story on Thursday, with the caveat being the this first story we're talking about premiered on a Thursday, but don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> I'm really happy that we're back to doing it this way. I think this is a great way to give everyone what they want. You have the the structured plot of a magic set one time a week. And then the other time a week, you have like a kind of like a little flavor story. Um, and just like last time, we have a two-parter of the flavor story, which we'll get to when we talk about it. Uh, last with Zendikar Rising, we had two episodes that were uh, centered around uh, Akiri. And those were really good. And this time it looks like we have two stories centered around the newest planeswalker, Nico. This is Zarosan Erasure. Um, I try not to think about him because I'm very sad. Because <laughs> he got murdered. Uh, yeah, yeah so, he did. <laughs> well, we're covering, uh, I think there's going to be five weeks of this like there was before. So we're covering stories now. Uh, next week is our Flavor Gems episode, uh, which we'll do when previews are done. And then we'll be back on for uh, four weeks of story. Uh, and then, uh, then we go do some backstory and talk about Frexia. For some weird reason, we're going to talk about Frexia, um, and uh, I, guess, I guess that's a good segue into uh, this first story called Travelers. 
the the main set stories are written by Roy Graham with contributions from Jenna Helland. Uh, I know Roy uh, has become a wizard uh, at some point last year. I don't know when that happened in relation to writing the story, but welcome to Wizards Roy. And uh, Jenna's been working at Wizards seemingly forever at this point. Jenna is great. And uh, does anyone else want to summarize this story? Uh, I can start us off. Um, The story started off with like a really cool sort of introduction to the world. Um, We didn't have the like standard, oh, this planeswalker is new to the world and we're going to see the world through their eyes. Kind of like we did when we had Teo and the the Ravnica stories. Uh, Here, though, we have what starts as kind of like a mystery. It felt kind of Innistrati to me. Um, where this ship docks at a small town where everyone seems uh, shrunken, bent by hunger and fear. Um, They are all scared of something, and the omen seekers who have arrived uh, are asking around and figuring out what's, what's happening. Apparently, people have been disappearing from this village, and someone says that they're not disappearing, they're being murdered. Uh, which prompted uh, the line, you don't know that, shouted another man, his eyes sunken and red from weeping. He'd lost his husband. So uh, we have a, a little canonical mention of a gay relationship, which is nice. Very um, those gays. Yeah, we got to kill him immediately, though, apparently. Nah, um, <laughs> at least one yeah. of them survived. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, all these people are dying. They haven't found any of the bodies. Uh, someone has seen it though, and they describe it as a monster. And we know about Cal time that there are these like cosmos monsters, which are like big mythological monsters that are pretty common. Uh, well, not common, but like the people know about them. They're a real thing. But, uh, in this case, they're like, this is not a cosmos monster. This is something much, much scarier. Um, so uh, that's when we finally get to meet Kaya, who is our sort of central planeswalker of the plot. She steps off the ship, and uh, as Ingar Runeyes says, uh, this is all her idea. Because we know that Kaya is here because she has been paid with coin minted from half a dozen different planes to come here and hunt something. But we don't know what it is that she is specifically hunting yet. Or who uh, hired her. Or key. who hired her, which is actually the more like interesting thing to me, because like, like someone would, knows something. You would think that after being hired by Bolas to do something under sketchy terms, she would vet her clients a little bit more. But no. OK, that's all I had to say about that. Continue. Chris. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, it is like a little bit like sketchy, um, but she's she's fine. She's got her friends. She's got Inga, who is a leader of the Omen Seekers, who has a legendary card in uh, the set, which is really cool. Uh, and they're also uh, joined by uh, a man named Asi, 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 A-S-I. It's three letters. I don't know how I can't pronounce that, but I, I can't. Um, who's an older guy who is a... Uh, He's there following along. Kaya seems to really like him, which I don't blame her because he seems like a nice guy. But they are they are in the Alderguard, uh, which is like an ancient foresty area um, of Bredegard. Uh And so they're going to go into the woods and they're going to find this monster. Um, so Kaya and this old guy and all these omen seekers with Inga, who is apparently blind but can see everything perfectly fine. Uh kind of traips into this forest where it is 
super cold. And there's some good world building moments where they're talking about like the woods and the place and beasts. And one of the people brings up, he's like, it could be Saruf, the dread wolf, the realm eater. And then Kaya's like a wolf. That's, that's what has you jumping at every snowflake. Uh, and as he's like, ah, Sarulf is no ordinary animal. He's one of the cosmos monsters. And there we have some world building going on. So that's good. Um, but he, he points out that like these cosmos monsters aren't going to like slink around in the shadows and steal people away from a village. They're going to like eat your realm, you know, they're going to make a big <laughs> show of it. Um, so, uh, Ozzy sends out his, uh, Raven, uh, Haka, which, you know, is a clue into who Ozzy is. If you've read the cards, uh, and Haka says that they found something and, uh, they go and check it out and they find a cave Sorry. and <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah. My my brain went, not only does reading the cards explain the cards, but reading the cards explains the lore, which isn't always true. What? But uh, that's <laughs> not if you're uh, reading the cards from Rivals of Ixalan. Um, anyways, um, nobody saw those so, cards because everyone stopped playing that block limited after Ixalan. No, Rivals, Rivals of Ixalan was, was pretty better. good. Uh, um, and, unless someone opened Tetsamok, in which case... Uh, Oh, God. Yeah. That set would have really benefited from having changelings. I just think about that all the time. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so they find a cave. Ooh, mysterious. Yeah. And it's like warm in the cave. And Kaya's like, that's nice. Because she's she's not like all into wearing all of this heavy furs and stuff. Because it's, you know, it's real cold outside. Uh, But they they find uh, before they get to the cave, there's like no animals there's no life around them other than like the forest like she hasn't even heard a squirrel um there's a little bit about squirrels and things like that it's very cute uh but they find this cave and they're walking through it and then kaya's like what's that over there and it's something glittering and she's like huh there's this like weird metal running along the walls and it like forked into webbed fractal like patterns and forms this like lattice work over the stone and she's like, was there ever a mine here? And Inga's like, no, uh, this place should be barren rock. And that's a little bit scary to them because the omen seekers, like, they can they can see far. Inga, as like the the leader of the omen seekers, is supposed to be able to see everything that other omen seekers have seen. So if there was an omen seeker who's been here, she knows what it looks like. And so this metal is new. And like, I'm not a geologist, but metal doesn't just show up. Like, Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. Um, so uh, they're like, huh, what's in here? And they keep kind of going in. Kaya like tells one of the Omen Seekers, like, don't touch the metal. It's not a good idea. Uh, which makes me think that she's been clued off to what's happening here. Um, because she knows instinctively not to touch this metal. Um, oh, I remember that differently. I thought she was going to touch it and Asi uh, uh, told her not to. But- no. She, uh, one of the omen seekers reached out toward the wall. Kaya caught his wrist. I wouldn't touch that. Uh, he pulled back his hand. Why not? She says, call, the, call it a hunch, which makes me think that she is clued in on something here. Uh, but then they find this hulking figure in the center of a cave chamber uh, who is over the carcass of a dire bear, uh, fusing with its flesh, which is just a really, uh, you know, the, the author love, really caught this scene pretty well. I love body horror so much. <laughs> well, there's a lot of body horror going on in this scene. I know. Um, 
it is terrifying. Yes. Uh, it is so gross as this uh, mysterious hulking figure who I'm just going to start referring to as Vorinclex because it's Vorinclex and we know that. <laughs> um, it's, uh, Vorinclex is like fusing with the flesh of this dire bear and it's kind of implicated that it is somehow like doing the Phyrexian thing, you know, where it's it's like fusing with the flesh, taking something from it, incorporating it into its own body. Um, but then it sees them and it it attacks and it makes this like awful, terrible sound. She calls it a bad imitation of a bear's roar. Um, and there's a fight scene and the fight scene is super cool uh, because Vorinclex just like takes a person and pulls him into his body and just melts him into him. Um, it's it's very gross. Uh, the the sheer difference between the way everything else in this set has been described and the way Vorinclex is described is so good to me. It is just to use a a good verb here, literally dripping with Frexianness and horror. And I appreciate that tonal shift a lot. Yeah, it's um, it's really it's highlighting how wrong Vorinclex is. Um, we know from like the other story, uh, from Nico's first story, but also this one that like Kaldheim is a is a very visceral place. Like people get into a lot of fights, and there's a lot of like you know battles and wars and stuff, but nothing as like nobody disgusting. sucks people into them. Yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> maybe, but well, like, yeah, let, let's not go too far. We don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's 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 absolutely like this this incredible difference because like these people are like, oh, we'll wrestle it because that's what you know the Kaldheim people do. They're like, I'll jump on you and and wrestle yeah. you to the ground, and and if they touch Vorinclex, Vorinclex just kind of sucks their body into him. Um, Kaya also, at one point. Mm-hmm. One thing to note is that Vorinclex repeatedly takes heavy damage and regenerates it like inst- uh, almost instantly. It was, oof. yeah. Kaya Kaya figures out pretty quickly that the no no weapon made of of man is going to hurt Vorinclex here. Um, luckily, Kaya is not a man. Uh, also, she has like spirit daggers or something. Um, so she. Uh, summons up her little spectral daggers and cuts off one of his arms and it actually works like the arm falls to the ground and turns into uh, ash apparently so that's kind of neat uh, and Vorinclex does not like that and he yells and it sounds like grinding metal uh, but he has this dead omen seeker that he caught that's like held by his little tiny arms because he's got like the little tiny he's got the little tiny T-Rex arms um, <laughs> and I mean, who doesn't though you know, I think all of our arms are probably smaller than a T-Rex's arms, but regardless of that, um, Vorinclex pulls in this body from this omen speaker and absorbs him into his flesh and then grows a new arm from where that arm had been cut off. Uh, and then it flexes one complete hand, something quietly popping into place before turning those empty eye sockets back towards Kaya. And Kaya thinks, oh, gods and monsters. Um and then Vorinclex charges her, and there's, like, this very intense fight where Vorinclex is, like, beating at Kaya, and Kaya's having to, like, dodge and phase out of existence and, like, 
become a little ghosty um, to try and dodge all these hits until she realizes uh, she has been worked into a corner. Um, Luckily, uh, Inga has this lantern and Inga's using her magic to try and like lock off Vorinclex from her, like using like shield sort of barrier magic, I guess. Um, And so Kaya is able to escape from that. Uh, And right before things are are lost, she fades into a wall and she tumbles out of it. Um, And Vorinclex is like just about to pick her up. And uh, good old Aussie uh, reveals that he is not just an old man. He is a special old man. Uh, He is Alrund, god of the cosmos. What? Uh, Yeah, right? Who saw that coming? Um, (laughs) I thought he was going to be Odin with the raven, but... uh, No, no, Odin's Odin's on a different plane. Uh, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Odin is on a... um, God, what is that? Uh, Vala, excuse me. Um, (laughs) Here it's Alrund, and uh, he uses his godly magic to stop Vorinclex from killing Kaya and saves her life. And he's like, oh, I've never seen something so foul and evil. And uh, Kaya cuts off one of uh, Vorinclex's legs, I think. Yes. Um, yeah. And so, like, he gets really off balanced. And it's clear that, like, Alrund can capture him. And so Vorinclex does the only thing he could do, which is he runs away by running directly into a wall and melting into the metal, like, I think it, they call it fungal met- metal, which is, you know, not a good sign for your plane once you've got a fungal metal growth happening um, and disappears into it. I'm just going to go out here and say right now that anytime Vorinclex made an action, it, it like in my head, I heard the, you know, the, the Transformers sound. The <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was a very bad imitation. No, but I got know. it. I got it. It was perfect. <laughs> but yeah. Anytime, like the the bear like roar, that's what I heard. Like I heard the bear roar overdone by the the transformers thing. But sorry, Br- Brian confirmed <laughs> not from Cybertron. <laughs> True story. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I like the description here. Uh, a moment later, it was a bulbous intermingling of flesh and ore, and a moment after that, it was gone. Um, so Vorinclex just melts into the wall of the cave. Uh, and disappears, and uh, Kaya's like, it's funny because all like Inga and like the rest of the Omen Seekers are like, oh my god, there's a god here, like literally, oh my god is here. Um, and Kaya's like, you fucking fool, excuse me, I'll re-record that. Uh, and Kaya's like, you fool, how dare you let him escape? And like runs up and is like upset at Alrund, and is well, like, Alrund caught it. Alrin does try to run after him, but then hits the wall because it was just painted onto the wall. It looked like a road. <laughs> wow. And it just falls over. <laughs> I mean, in fairness, this isn't something even the god of the cosmos sees every day, right? So, can't blame him. Yeah. Uh, Alrin, for all of his uh, benefits of being the wisest god, the uh, god of wisdom, you could say, is... um is like a little concerned about what he's seen today. And Kaya's like, I'm going to go chase after him. And Alrind is like, all right, I'll help you out. Uh, go to the, the shore and there will be a boat there waiting for you. Uh, it'll be my, my sister's boat, Kazuma, um, or whatever they are, cousin, kin of some kind. Uh, and that'll take you to where you need to go. 
And Alrind is being very much godlike. And it's very frustrating when he's like, I'm going to go away now and like makes a magical door to walk away and is very like, ooh, just follow the light of Starnheim. It will take you where you must go. I'm just like, oh my God, just tell people where to go. (laughs) (laughs) Where's the fun in that? Uh, And then uh, Kaya gets a little lesson on what a Doomscar is, to which she says, that doesn't sound great, which is true. A Doomscar, like no matter what it is, the Doomscar just does not sound like a good name for something. Like that is a bad thing. Um, So... Yeah, it uh, it ends with Kaya thinking, uh, you know, perfect, thought Kaya bitterly. Hunt a monster, save some townsfolk. Nice and simple. Nothing like that mess in Ravnica. Um. <laughs> yeah, I I really like um, Kaya's motivation here. It's, uh, you know, everything on Ravnica is very complicated. So uh, and, and not what her normal life is. So she's like, look, I'm just going to take this little job on this backwater plane. It's going to be quick and easy. Uh, and she immediately finds herself in like way more than she bargained for, and uh, I. It's it's, my, it's it's funny to me. It's my complaint about her not vetting her clients. <laughs> I I really need to know. I'm very excited to find out who hired Kaya. I want to know what they know. I want to know how foreign clicks I, I just want to know everything because i feel as if whoever hired kaya was like hey by the way uh don't touch them just don't touch the monster whatever just nothing the monster leaves behind just don't don't touch it especially don't carry any of that back with you in your heart uh to whatever plane you go to next <laughs> uh. <laughs> wow subtle carn digs uh yeah, we we talked a little bit in our um world building preview episode last week uh, about how how Vor and Klex got here because uh he's not a local and uh I obviously will say nothing, but uh <laughs> we we've we leave the first episode with a couple of mysteries. Who paid Kaya? What how did Vor and Klex get here? Why is Vor and Klex here? Uh can Kaya actually hunt down and kill Vor and Klex? All, all kinds of things, uh, mysteries, and uh, gosh, golly, I guess we'll have to read the rest of the stories when they come out. Uh, yeah, that was uh, that was the first of our first part of the main story of Caltime. Uh, it was good. It was super good. I am super hype about this story. Uh, I am reading them as we talk about them on the podcast, so I will not be reading episode two, even though it is already out, until we talk about it. So, like two weeks from now. Um, so. I'm like I'm I'm on the edge of my seat, but I refuse to not read them in order with the podcast. But, but, but it was so good. I am excited to read it in two weeks. <laughs> uh, shout um, out to our one preview card, Dogged Pursuit, for occurring in this story. Yeah, Hell yeah. Um, speaking of dogs, Roy Graham, the author who uh, wrote the story, has a really good uh, golden lab. This is important information. Dogs are excellent. Carrie, you just got a new dog. I did just get a new dog. I adopted her from our city kennel, and she is uh, wonderful. But, um, you know, just got to get her adjusted to the house. That's that's the main task for the next few <laughs> next few weeks to she, maybe months at this point. She's a good-looking critter. That is an adorable animal. She she naps all day, which is all I can ever ask from a dog. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Mood. Um, but yeah, I like this story as 
the initiating story for kind of the main line of uh, Kaldheim's fiction. It's, I don't, I, there's this pull and push to where I always want the stories to be bite-sized for people to reasonably read them during their lunches because they are released at like 10.30 a.m. And like the best time to, like logistically the best time to get people to read those stories is like on their lunches on the day of release because any day after that you're kind of like risking them just forgetting that the story was published the day before or the day before that. But at the same time, I do enjoy like this and along with the uh, Friday story that came along with it, just kind of having lengthier magic story um, that keeps you engaged for a little bit longer and feels more like a full form novella type story rather than individual chapters in the, in the vein of uh, kind of pre Ixalan magic story i felt like the story was kind of short but that was just me i guess i thought I like my, my I vision of it yeah. also might be skewed because i'm looking at like four thousand to five thousand word stories as long knowing that like a lot of the battle for zendikar to ixalan era fiction was kind of like hovering around two thousand to three thousand words per story because they were chunking out like 12 within a block <laughs> <laughs> Or 12 within a set in some cases, because Battle for Zendikar was, like, so dense with story and same with Oath of the Gatewatch, and then they kind of petered off into um, balancing it a little better. BFC had, like, three or four stories of setup before anything even happened. Yeah, it kind of went wild. But it's, like, that's kind of the balance where I'm thinking of it, is, like, could this be consumed within somebody's 30-minute lunch? Mm -hmm. And I think this is testing that limit uh i think the call time stories and also like the zendikar rising stories is kind of like extended test of it Mm -hmm. um they're pushing that limit a little bit but they're also like still within it safely to where i think somebody if somebody wanted to keep up with the magic story without necessarily needing to remember every single week and just knowing on wednesday on my break i'm going to keep up with this that's easy enough because that's how i got into the story for like how many years was just reading them on breaks? Yeah. Um, I, what I really appreciate about the story and uh, the Zendikar Rising, the first Zendikar Rising story um, is uh, we don't waste words here. We just, we, we start already into, into the story a bit. Um, you know, we get a little bit of world building stuff here, um, especially because it's like a new plane, but otherwise like Kaya is already on the hunt and we will have a couple lines to explain how this situation got here, but otherwise we are just going to go tell our story and it doesn't waste words doing that. And, uh, that's, that's good tight storytelling. I like that. Big fan. I think it's also helped by the fact that Niv Mizzet isn't dead right off the bat. <laughs> We're not starting that deep into the story. We're just starting at the beginning. Definitely. That was definitely <laughs> a I know that's my mandatory war of the spark joke, but you know, I will say Niv Mizzet is alive at the start of the story. As oh, far as we know. That could change. Yeah. Uh, at, at this point, I think we should move on to our second story. This is our, our it's so first good. of the side stories. Uh, this is called Know Which Way the Wind is Blowing by Setsu Izume, uh, who is a fantastic person. They uh, are uh, a good, good, good person to interact with. Uh, 
this is uh this is the first uh nico story we're, we're getting two nico stories so uh um yeah nico uh Again, we start kind of in the story. Nico is in a uh, a longhouse type hall. There's a bunch of Vikings here. Uh, they're having a, a good party, and um, there's a there's a group of omen seekers and uh, a group of um, fuck. Uh, uh, they are Kana. the Kana. And there's a group of Kana, which are the kind of green-aligned wandering group, uh, who Nico found when they planeswalked here <laughs> and was like, hey, what the hell? That was weird. And uh, got picked up by these wanderers and uh, brought to this uh, place on the coast where they're meeting up with these omen seekers. And uh, we, we open with uh, a little bit of a uh, mead pong and with uh, we have a <laughs> bunch of Vikings uh, set up with their drinking horns. And we have uh, uh, a seer predicting how Nico's throw is going to be. Uh, Nico picks up a small rock off the ground and, and tosses it and bing, bang, bong, plop into a drinking horn exactly as the seer predicted. And... Uh, and Nico wins a bet that gets them uh, fancy armor, <laughs> and and uh, it's it's a great introduction to uh, Nico's playfulness and athleticism and um, skills. Uh, Nico doesn't miss; they just don't, um, and kind of introduces the uh, the idea of. Uh, prophecies and omens in this world and seeing into the future which is very much tied to nico's origin story as well uh and so everyone starts uh sitting around and there's a ton of food and drinks and um why can't i think of the god's name why can't i think of anybody's name uh it's it's uh it's Berga. okay Bergi. it's b-i-r-g-i I, I don't know how to pronounce it, and also we don't have the card yet. We might have the card by the time this episode <laughs> airs, but we don't have it. It's like the um, only god we don't have yet. Yeah, so uh, uh, everyone's sitting around, and they're talking about um, the folks. Uh, the Kana are here because their leader, Finn Snake Hunter, has been having these terrible omens about Koma, the Cosmos Serpent, uh, and um, is here to meet an omen seeker named Orhat Stoneback, uh, I don't know how the Omen Seeker like faction is split up. Um, these these are not the same Omen Seekers that uh, Kaya was with. Um, so I don't I don't I don't know like if Inga is like the ruler of all of them or if she just has this boat and if Orhaf just has her own boat. I don't know how that works, but um, the point is everybody everyone's here and. Uh, a group starts gathering because this uh, woman named Birji starts telling uh, this fantastic story, this, uh, this heroic uh, scald about, um, or this uh, heroic saga about uh, a woman who defines, defies her destiny and, and the Valkyries and all these things. And, and Nico's very uninterested in this and starts uh, makes a little mirror to play with a cat, uh, which I <laughs> it's think... A, it's basically a laser pointer. It's yeah. just a laser pointer. It's so yeah, cute. Yeah, he, uh, the, uh, yeah, Nico makes a little mirror and tosses it, and the cat is like, ha! Mirror! And then Nico, uh, 
um, dissipates the mirror and the cat's like, hey, wait, where'd the mirror go? And so they play for a bit. And um, when the uh, saga is finished, Bougie comes over and is like, wow, I've never seen anyone so disinterested in my stories. Who the heck are you? <laughs> Uh, and um, they all have a little conversation uh, along with Kel, who is the Kana who uh, has kind of attached himself to Nico to make sure Nico doesn't die. <laughs> and, um, you know, there's a lot of discussions about uh, legends and uh, how this world works. Oh, uh, the cat's name is Threat, by the way. And I, I think that's important because the cat is adorable uh, and fluffy. Big big fluffy nordic cat yeah there's there's a couple of important pieces of world building that happen uh shortly before the story starts and um one of them is uh the description of what frith is which is guest rights sort of um it's sort of like this like acceptance that if someone shows up at your door asking for help you have to provide it to them um because you never know when that person might be one of the gods in disguise yeah. And Nico is explained this and Nico is very confused because Nico, they, they come from a plane where the gods are like these majestic celestial beings who right. would never dare show up on your doorstep. Yeah, when when <laughs> when when Thassa appears to you, she doesn't appear uh, disguised. She rises with the full fury of the sea to make sure you know that it's her you're speaking to. Uh <laughs> Um, so they, uh, you know, this, this is where uh, the, the conversation is, is a lot about, uh, Orhaft and, uh, Finn and that whole interaction. Um, and, uh, Nico's like, yeah, no, I'm just boring. And Birgi is like, well, I don't think you're as, as boring as, uh, as you seem. Uh, and she, she calls, uh, Nico little mouse, which I think is very cute. And also <laughs> like. It it starts as just like a little pet name, but when you like consider that she is a god, which <laughs> at this point in the story is like not totally revealed. Um, although there are hints, her uh, tattoos glow with the aurora magic, which the gods have earlier in the story. Um, like it's a it's a good it's a good nickname when you consider a deity talking to a mortal. Um, and so she goes out outside and uh there's a group of kana uh sitting around uh tending to their bears and stuff and a bunch of omen speakers in the um in in the longhouse and uh like leaning up against the wall and chilling and everyone's uh filled with meat and alcohol and uh birji uh very conspicuously and loudly tells uh nico uh about how well, you know one of the groups is much better than the other at a thing, and uh, start trying to incite a thing, and so uh, big big sharks and jets moment as uh, the Kana and the Omen speakers uh, start slinging insults at each other, and uh, things things get intense verbally and then intense physically, and Nico is like, oh my god, but we're supposed to be good hosts and guests to each other, and now we're fighting! And so they start panicking a little bit, and, um, uh, you know, trap a bunch of people in mirror shards, uh, trying to save, uh, Kel, and, uh, is freaking out a bit, because, uh, Nico heard enough of the story to understand what Valkyries are, and then sees one, sitting on top of the longhouse, and then sees another one sitting on top of a boulder, 
Uh, and uh, they don't know much about Kaldheim right now, but they know that Valkyrie's appearing means death. And uh, Nico is doing everything they can to uh, interrupt fighting and make sure no one dies. And then uh, they release the the two Vikings, Omen speaker, Omen Seekers, uh, that uh, they trapped and uh, toss a little mirror Pokeball at a Valkyrie. And uh, he get, he gets captured, and uh, Nico is like, "Oh no, what do I do?" And uh, runs over to the Omen Speaker boat where Orhaft and um, Finn are talking. And is like, "Hey, y'all! I caught a Valkyrie in a plate, and people are fighting. What is going on?" And uh, <laughs> there's like a small little freak out, but also curiosity of like catching a Valkyrie because like the Valkyries are. Like, there's a good argument that they're the most powerful beings in this in in Kaldheim. Even the gods have to prove their worth and worthiness to get into Starnheim. And uh, so it's a little freaky because Nico is, as they tend to do, messing with the way things are supposed to work. So um, they give the Valkyrie over to Orhoft, and um, Finn Finn goes back to try and calm the fighting. And uh, Nico goes back and, uh, you know, the the fight has been quelled and people are tending to their wounds and laughing as if almost as if the fight didn't even happen. And Birji is is laughing and uh, having a good time. And Nico's just like, hey, what the hell did you just do? (laughs) And shoves her. And it's just like, (laughs) I love I love these first two stories because it's it's planeswalkers who aren't from here looking at the gods and being like, hey, you're not being very godlike right now. What the hell is your deal? <laughs> and uh, that that is the pettiness of of um, Kaldheim's gods. And um, I do love how all of the uh, the omen seekers and the, the Kana are like trying to get Burgie to like, hey, hey, did you see that cool thing I did? Are you yeah. going to tell a story about it? <laughs> and it's just, it's so funny because like, this is a goddess and y'all are just like, oh, did you see that thing I did where I, I hit the guy in the right spot? It's just... Yeah, they simpin'. Yeah. Uh, they simpin'. But it's also just, it's really like a, cute. They okay, have a very good relationship to their gods. That's also just their culture. They are braggarts. They are about doing cool things and making Ghost exciting stories. <laughs> yeah, they are literally boasting and and that's what beer she's all about um um yeah yeah and uh nico goes up to bergie and after like shoving her uh asks what kind of god drives their own people to kill each other and then bergie leans in close and says what kind of mortal steals into another world to play with cats when they can do what you do (laughs) um which is Funny, but also like reveals that Burgi is familiar with Nico in the sense of Burgi understands what Nico is. Yeah, like, um, yeah, no, a, a, a big up, part of where you at. <laughs> uh, a big part of Nico's character is figuring out what it means to be a hero. Being a hero means one thing on Theros and a different thing on Kaldheim. And Nico is young and all of a sudden is in somewhere that isn't Theros, and they can be whatever they want to be and. Uh, I, I don't know if any of y'all were ever teenagers, but uh, that period where you, like, enter adulthood and it's like, oh, I actually have to, like, be my own person now, uh, it's very scary and confusing. And that that's kind of ish where Nico is here. Um, nope, never had that. <laughs> uh, 
so uh, they go back to the boat, and uh, Orhaft has been talking with the Valkyrie. Uh, I, I know we got the Valkyrie's name. It's uh... we get at the very end of the story, I think. Um... Avison. <laughs> <laughs> you had to get that inspiration somewhere. I'm not gonna lie. When Bergy leaned in, I I legit thought that we were gonna have our uh, Tybolt reveal right there. <laughs> no, I legitimately think that's like one of the best one of the best storylines we've gotten in years. Like, uh, just a god a god casually insulting a planeswalker to be like, "Who the fuck are you?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mind um, your own business, God. Exactly. Like, oh, you're just pretending to be normal around here. Like, you're not. You're failing. <laughs> I I do like when K- Kiel scoffs and, and calls her the god of brats. Um, it's a, like there's just a lot of good playful name calling in this. Uh, uh, folks ribbing each other in in uh, amusing ways, and uh, I appreciate that. Anyway, so uh, uh, the Valkyrie's name is not Avicen, but it is Avtir. Sure. Um, <laughs> so uh, Nico talks with Orhaft. Uh, and, uh, you know, Nico has a lot of questions, uh, you know, it's, it's probably bad that this Valkyrie stuck here, uh, but also, you know, there are a lot of visions and omens and what's going on, and, uh, Orhaf's answer is, hey, Nico, you gotta take this Valkyrie back to Starnheim, uh, no mortal has ever set foot in that realm, uh, and... And Nico's response is, uh, someone has to be the first. Um, and, uh, so, um, Z sends Nico off on a little rowboat and opens an omen path. And, uh, Nico is just kind of off into the cosmos. Uh, I almost said all alone, but there's a, still a Valkyrie in a mirror. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> which is slightly kind awkward. of alone <laughs> uh yeah kind of alone um off to uh starnheim which is uh gonna be weird for the world set out to prove destiny wrong again yeah this story was so good that after i finished reading it i just started like i started messaging our group chat going oh my god y'all <laughs> this story was so good um I love every moment of this story. I I can't think of a single character that I don't want to see more of. Like, mm-hmm. I want to read more stories with every one of these characters, and I hope they all show up in the second one. Um, it will make me sad if I don't get another scene with Kel, um, who is just adorable and fun. Uh, it's just so good. Nico is great. I just, yeah. <laughs> Can I also say, like, the Agents of Fate line... Those those dudes are like 0 for 2. <laughs> they missed the two biggest targets they could have gotten. Well, considering that they're basically destiny cops, they should be 0 for 2. Yeah. Um, Remember, ACAB, including uh, Agents of Fate. <laughs> <laughs> Agents That's of Artifice, though, are perfectly okay. Aww. Yeah, I mean, I, most I, of the people in that book are terrible, too, but... We don't need to talk about that right now. Um, uh, go ahead, Carrie, with whatever you were going to say. Oh, my genuine and extremely amateur-sounding review of this story is this feels like a classic magic novel. Like, a classic Magic the Gathering novel, but, like, with actual quality put into it, because 
those kind of had like varying levels, but it felt like something where it was engaging and kind of like loading you up with characters and world building and introducing you to the character right away in an extremely satisfying way. <laughs> like I don't I don't even know how to exactly say it. It just feels like more than the web fiction that we've gotten before. Like more more engaging, more deep and more meaningful. Yeah. Yeah, um a big part of that I think is the way um Nico's narrative and also the things happening around them in the story are all rooted in the kind of same themes of uh, prophecy and defying destiny and uh, omens and and the future and how do you navigate all this and um, you know and interactions between um, the mortal and the divine and um, it's I was about to say I'm going to shill a little bit here but as one of the people who has helped bring Nico to the public it's it's not shilling if I'm part of the group that created here it's just uh I really really like Nico as a character um we're we're gonna learn a little bit more about them um uh in 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 the next story and you know uh when arena updates um there will be voice lines there and um I I adore Nico um a lot of wonderful people were on the team to create them. Um, a lot of work was done to get Nico right and, and to make this story happen. And uh, these stories, actually, the two of them. And um, yeah, I, I just like it. I just like it. And it's really nice seeing a lot of people like it. Um, I th- the main criticism of the story I've seen is that um, it introduces a lot of characters very quickly. Um, and... Uh, there's there's not a lot of introductory time um, to uh, to acclimate to a single new character. There's just a whole bunch of ones, including Nico um, here, because this is this is their first story. And um, yeah, but we did it a second time when you know who the characters are, and it flows a lot better um, in that regard. Uh, yeah, maybe that's the comparison I'm drawing, where I'm just like, it feels like the green sleeves trilogy where it's just like there's overloaded with characters and there's actual but like obviously like an actual story instead of the green sleeves trilogy right, right. well it, yeah. it's 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 very different than what um where the spark ravnica did which is like have entire sentences with 20 different character names in it but almost nothing yes. about any of those people um you know this this story has uh what nico kale birji or haft um and it has like space adequately for each of them, which I guess uh, is yeah, the but actual like, difference. It it introduces almost all of them by name in in the first section um, of the story, and uh, kind of leaves the rest of the story to tease out who these people are. Um, so it's it's a little dense at the beginning, but I, but I think it's it that is what gives this story a lot of depth as it goes, because um, you're kind of unraveling all of these characters at the same time in different moments um also uh a thing that we wanted to talk about uh first magic story to use neo pronouns hell yeah uh or have to use his uh zero pronouns that's uh, x-e-x-e-r um very brief gender studies not even gender studies he's like 101 like gender studies 99 here uh Gender, one thing. Pronouns, another thing. 
Um, you know, uh, you know, they them isn't the non-binary program pronoun. Uh, Zizer isn't like another non-binary pronoun. Uh, give you a little hint: he him is not a male pronoun, and she her is not a female pronoun. They're just pronouns. Uh, there's uh, we can just like briefly hop back uh, to uh, some older ideas of uh, con- conceptions of lesbianism. Uh, he him lesbians are a thing. Uh, historically, uh, a lot of butch lesbians have used he him pronouns. Um, they're still women. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, a lot of. I don't know how to start this sentence. As genderiness has become more well known in public spheres, especially in pop culture, um, especially over the last decade. Uh, there's a lot of, well, I, I don't need to mince words here, uh, calling out cis people for treating non-binary like a third gender. Uh, it's not. Uh, it is a broad category that includes endless genders. Uh, and, uh, you know, non-binary people can also be men and women. Gender is really fucky. And, um, <laughs> like, uh, uh, so no, um, so there's a lot of ways non-binariness has been um, presented in pop culture and defaulted the defaulted to they them pronouns and and um, I think that's probably uh, the most common pronouns that you'll see non-binary people use um, or or e- either they them alone or they them with another set of pronouns um, or multiple sets of pronouns. Uh, there are people who are like, hey, use whatever pronouns, and, and that's awesome, because gender is fake, and do what you want. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, Nico is the first non-binary human planeswalker, uses they, them pronouns. Um, I, I think for that character, that's probably the right choice. Um, if you are making a product that is facing a mostly cis-heteronormative world. Um, which you are, because that's the world we live in. It sucks, and y'all ruined uh, a perfectly good, good gendery existence that we could have. But uh, yeah, or or have comes out using uh, Caesar pronouns, um, which is great. Uh, these these aren't like made up new pronouns for magic. These are real pronouns that real people use. These are real pronouns that non-binary people use. They are real pronouns that uh, women and men can use. And it's just really nice to see that in a story. We also have a he, him, Valkyrie, um, which does not mean that the Valkyrie is a, like a cis male Valkyrie. Could just just throw that out there. I I, I am here. I am yeah. here for he, him, Dyke Valkyries. Uh, I don't yeah. I don't know if that is uh, the case with uh, Aptir, but um, yeah. yeah. I just saw a lot of people who are like. Oh, we've got boy Valkyries. I'm like, no, we have a Valkyrie Maybe. who uses he, him pronouns, but we don't know if this Valkyrie is a boy. So. Yeah, that's the other thing is that the author on Twitter like specified it was he, him pronouns Valkyrie, not mm-hmm. a not a dude Valkyrie. Like it can, there is there's a very long discussion that we should not have at the 54 minute mark of our episode. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, yes, and- many many thoughts on this and. It is refreshing to have such a quality story delivered for Magic's first meaningfully non-binary planeswalker. 
not to discount any that came before, but like Ashiok doesn't necessarily have the story development or or really had the tact at the time to kind of deliver on um yeah um, the topic at hand. So. Yeah, I I adore Ashiok as a character. Ashiok is one of my favorite planeswalkers. I will write Ashiok anytime y'all ask me. Um, fantastic character, but has always kind of reeked of cis people trying to make a not cis planeswalker and fumbling through that because you're restricted to the Chicago Manual of Style from 2012 or whenever (laughs) Theros came out. And um, that's what Ashiok has always felt like to me. Um, Like, I I understand your intent, but this ain't it kind of thing. Um, And Ashiok. Which which doesn't invalidate the the non-binary and genderqueer people who have looked at Ashiok and said, yes, absolutely, yes, this is great, me, Um, and and resonated with that. because that character does still do that with with people, but um, we this is a different uh, this this is a much more what is the word? Nico is a much more uh, tactful um, <laughs> yes. uh, uh, attempt at uh, this kind of character, and you know you know we when the the story team had that announcement about like hey. We're going to be writing the stories we want to write, and they may not appear in all the countries that we have a website. And uh, everyone was like, well, what the heck does this mean? Does this mean we're getting queer things? I'm sitting here knowing about what's coming and being like, ha 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 And yeah, here it is. Like, we have a really gendery magic story. And I I think that's where we're going to leave this episode, because I have to edit this thing. <laughs> <laughs> With some gendery <laughs> magic. <laughs> um yeah uh so i i guess final thoughts um uh eight um god i had one planned out you know from before we started (laughs) and now i don't remember what it is um so uh hooray for queers (laughs) that's my final thought (laughs) that's a good one my final thought is stop being selfish or I'm probably preaching to the choir, but I want people to stop being selfish and stay home. Uh, I'm still waiting for COVID tests because I'm pretty sure my manager uh, went to holiday parties with extended family this over the Christmas break. So, and exposed us while we were in the office last week. So again, please like don't, don't do parties and, and random stuff. Be, be considerate of others and stay home. Please just do that. Pandemic still bad at least here in the united states and many places in europe and i think uh a bunch of places in africa have gone into lockdowns again i don't remember exactly uh yeah stay home if you have to go out wear a damn mask continue washing your hands none of this has changed since march and april still do all the same things that you're doing then uh for folks outside the united states listen to your local guidelines because that's a thing Jay would say, and we have to say that because Jay's not here. You're welcome, Jay. Because <laughs> Jay is a coward. Jay's a coward. Um, Jay's not actually a coward. He has, he has good reasons for not being here. Uh, but, uh, yeah, okay. Uh, uh, my final thought um, is that I really, really enjoyed these stories, and I don't play a lot of Magic because of the pandemic right now, uh, so I don't get to experience it through the game, which sucks. 
Um, so hopefully this pandemic will be over soon. Uh, but I do get to enjoy these stories and holy crap. I just, I love Nico so much. Nico deserves a smooch and, um, I can't wait to read the next Nico story in approximately two weeks. Cause I'm reading them as they come out on the podcast. So I can be like fresh in my mind. So y'all get to read it by the time this episode comes out though. So no spoilers. Don't tell me. If I get to, if, if they write me into the story, giving Nico a smooch, then don't, don't tell me. I want to be a surprise. Carrie, final thoughts. My final thought is I am sorry for Brian's wallet. I don't know if it was one collective bribe or just bribes to each individual member of R and D, but the black green elves in this set off the charts. Like this is, this is actually getting me excited about elves, and I'm never excited about anything that's not blue white. So, Carrie, you're not supposed to spill my 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 my, my thing over here. It's supposed to be on the DL, man. I mean, I'm come sorry. on, <laughs> come on. Yeah, I I can't wait for two weeks when we get to talk about Tyvar. Uh, but uh, we'll we'll oh. have to wait. We'll have to wait for that. Uh, in the meantime. If you enjoy our show and would like to support us, like I said at the beginning of the episode, because we're <laughs> winging it, uh, you can head over to patreon.com slash thevorthoscast and uh, help support us today. Everyone who does gets access to our Discord community, where Vorthos is from around the world, blah, blah. You've heard the spiel at the end of the episode a ton of times. We love our folks and appreciate everyone who supports us on Patreon and all our listeners out there. Thank you for listening. This has been the Vorthoscast.